0: It's episode number 483, and it's time we talked about the Tour de France. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back. It is time to talk about the Tour de France. It is the biggest annual bike race in the world. It is three weeks across the highways and byways of France and four other countries, interestingly, this year. Sorry, three other countries, four, including France. We're going to hit Belgium. We're going to hit Denmark. We're going to hit Switzerland. and obviously we're going to hit France. The race kicks off this Friday, the 1st of July, and it runs until the 24th of July. That is three weeks of bike racing coming at you, coming on your screens. I absolutely cannot wait. 3,328 kilometers of racing. I'm tired of even talking about it. That's five summit finishes, six chances for the sprinters to write their name, bright and bold in glory, and define a career for most people. I want to get in and I want to do a little bit of a preview today and let you know what there is to look forward to over the three weeks I want to talk about the route. I want to talk about the key stages, and I want to talk about, obviously, where my money is going and those GC favourites. The route, it's got it all this year. It really does, because we're going across the feared cobblestones, these Roubaix-style cobblestones. We're finishing up on Alpe d'Huez, and I had a chance to go over there a couple of years ago when Grant Thomas won on Alpe d'Huez in 2018. It's actually my first holiday away with Sarah. And they've also thrown in some gravel this year. So the race really does have everything. As I said, it's kicking off this Friday over in Denmark and it has a 13-kilometer time trial to kick things off. This is really interesting because it's like the opening scene in a Shakespearean play. It doesn't define the entire story, but it lets us know who the main characters are. And it defines those really early. It sets the stage for the battles to come. That's why I think the opening time trial is really important. And a 13-kilometer time trial, it's significant. We could see the likes of Wout van Aert, Filippo Gana, one of these big, powerful riders, taking the first Maillon, or yellow jersey, of this year's Tour de France. We're going to have two more stages in Denmark, which I imagine will be defined by fast bunch sprints, the normal, chaotic nervous peloton which we've come to expect in the first week of the tour couple that with wins and I think we are going to see some of the big contenders fall foul of injury let's just hope it's not Roglic again the last two Tour de France's yes Pogac has won them but Roglic has crashed in both them so I'm hoping we get to the hills and we get that showdown that we deserve because honestly folks it's pitted. It is fascinating. I'm going to get into the contenders in a minute, but we are set up for a really fascinating Tour de France. And I haven't got this excited about the Tour de France in a couple of years. Let me run through some of the key stages. So stage five is Wednesday to 6th. We're going to hit the cobblestones. That is a key stage you want to mark in the diary because we're going to have 20 kilometers of cobblestones that day split over sections. That's going to be really interesting because we're used to watching the cobbles in the northern classics, but these GC riders, they're not as adept at riding the cobbles. So we're going to have this dual fight going on. We're going to have the specialists who are going for outright victory that day, and we're going to have the GC guys who cannot afford to lose time. So it's fascinating battle. On Friday the 8th, we're heading to La Plade de Belfi, and everyone remembers that one when uh, Wiggins and Chris Froome. It was kind of the first we've seen of Chris Froome and this era of dominance as he was pacing Wiggins up La Plata Belfi and we had Yates in the radio going... Froomey I hope you have permission from Bradley for that attack and Froomey's just riding off into the distance and then he eases up and waits for Wiggins but that was the first time we ever seen a crack in Wiggins that was the first time that we seen this emergence of Froome as this high mountain specialist and it was the first time we ever thought he could go on and win these Grand Tours and obviously he went on to dominate them after that and it set up a new Chris Froome era. Froomey is back this year but I don't think he's one of the key contenders but I'm definitely not in the sort of uh, group of people who are hating on Froome. It's great to see anyone doing a comeback, putting their all into something and just, you know, their whole being, their whole focus on this. Yes, he has a big contract, but he deserves a big contract. He's the biggest name in the sport or one of the biggest names in the sport. So don't hate on Froomey. Don't be that guy. Stage nine is a Oh, it's a killer. I nearly said a bad word. It's a killer. It's stage nine. It's, it's the call it's going over to call the Col de telegraph. It's going over to call the glibier. And then it's going over a climb called the call the Granon. G-R-A-N-O-N. And this is a climb I've gone up before. I used to base myself out there in the summers quite a lot and go into old ski chalets and I typically stay close to the Duz this is a climb I've ridden in train, and I've ridden at full gas, and it's 11.5 kilometers at 9.2%, but it gets up over 2,400 meters of climbing. They don't, for some reason, use this in the tour anymore. I think it's only been used once, all the way back in 1986, and for whatever reason, maybe infrastructural reason, like some of my favorite climbs in France are ones the tour doesn't go over, like my favorite climbs, the backside of Alpe d'Huez called the Col de Sorène it's just not a wide enough road for the Tour de France to go over. And that's why you don't see these climbs. And people don't realize that, that the Tour de France is also this traveling circus. And the the cavalcade needs to be able to get past. The floats need to be able to get past with the promotional goodies. So I would suspect that's why we haven't seen the Col de Grenon that often and we're seeing it again this year for I don't know what reason but it is a killer climb it's not billed as the Queen stage of this year's Tour de France but for me it is the Queen stage because that climb is so so hard the day after that if that wasn't enough to smash you in half break your legs break your morale we're going over to Glibier again then the Croix de Fer, and then the big one up the d'Huez and if that wasn't enough it's on Bastille Day and we know how the French love to go crazy on Bastille Day like, you don't need to remind them, but it's 13.8 kilometers, 21 hairpins. It's one of the most iconic climbs in cycling, where Armstrong, Pantani, Grant Thomas, all these guys winning up Alpe d'Huez. It's a party, it's a carnival. I stayed there in 2018, and we camped on a roundabout at the bottom of Alpe d'Huez the night before, because Alpe d'Huez was closed off. It was a party all night, and it's drinking all the next day. It's flares, it's Dutch Corner. It's fantastic. If you get a chance to go over, it's truly one of those sporting spectacles that needs to be experienced once in a lifetime. The next mountain of stage that I'm looking for is stage 18 in the Pyrenees up Oak camp And this is the one everybody remembers Armstrong getting tagged when he was in the yellow jersey by the fan who was holding the feedback, the musette, and his handlebar went through it and it reefed him to the ground. And then he got up and he actually I think it was Ulrich to call the truce and said no we wait for Armstrong we don't attack so the group waited Armstrong rode back up to the group and then a couple of kilometers later he turned on the pressure and he dropped the group. Out the camp is no joke of a climb it's 13.6 kilometers the Pyrenees typically and historically isn't as steep as the Alps but you can ride up these climbs so fast and it's only 7.8 percent so some of these super light riders will ride up that in the big ring and it's going to be epic fast and the final one's a penultimate stage it's a time trial and it's 40 kilometers and we have some climbing in it we might see drama like we seen a couple of years ago with Pogaccia Roglic again it could come down to the wire so who am I looking at and where is my money going well we actually don't know much about how these riders stack up against each other I'm not sure if they have do they have like the GC favorites whatsapp group where they have like uh, Roglic, Jonas Vindergard, Pogaccia, Garan Thomas, and they're all in a WhatsApp group. And they're like, hey, lads, where are you going? I'm going to Dauphine, I'm going to Switzerland. Okay, cool, I'll I'll head over to uh, Slovenia. They haven't raced each other. So I really don't know how they stack up against each other. For what it's worth, Pogaccia won two stages in the Tour of Slovenia, which is really like his... You know, pre-tour training camp at this stage, there was another stage where he played rock, paper, scissors with Rafael Micah to see who was going to take the win. So you could effectively say got just won three stages there. He has won eight out of the last nine stage races that he started, honestly enough. But as I say, they're not against Roglic, Vindegaard or Thomas. So it's hard to know how to rate these stage races. Over in the Dauphiné, we had Roglic and Vindegaard again looking like they were out training. That They were nose going up these climbs in the Dauphiné and riding away from the very best in the world apart from them. And, you know, the the lad Ben O'Connor from AG2R was probably stacking up best against Roglic and Vindegaard. He was the only one that seemed to be able to follow when the racing got super, super selective. But when it, they pressed on, it was just the two boys coming over the top as well together. You know, they could have played Rock, Paper, Scissors if they want. We could have had a whole Rock, Paper, Scissors tournament going from race to race. And Garant Thomas, again, looked super, super strong in the Tour of Switzerland. And Wiggins has come out this week and saying, you know, you dismiss Garant Thomas at your pearl. As crazy as it is, the 2008 champion Garan Thomas is going into this race as a little bit of an underdog. Um, which I find, you know... I'm not sure about that because Garant Thomas, the f- he can ride the classics and the first week it's set up like a classics week. And we have Pogaccia, who's obviously won Strada Bianchi, Liege, Baston, Liege, El Lombardy. So on paper, it's really well set for Pogaccia in that first week. But Thomas can ride these classics as well. So I think it'll be interesting to see where the GC riders stack up before we even hit the high mountains. Other sort of contenders that I had hoped that are there but aren't, Yates is not going to take the start line for bike exchange, he had a knee injury in the Giro d'Italia and instead the team have decided to focus on sprints with Grunewagen. The sprint roster is stacked, we've all the fastest guys in the world except Mark Cavendish there, Grunewagen's there but Quick Step have decided to go Jakobsen instead of Cavendish which it, it's head versus heart, isn't it? And Cavendish is undoubtedly still one of the fastest in the world. With Mirko on the lead out, could he win? Yes, possibly. He only needs one stage win to break Merckx's all-time record. I think it was probably a bigger story if Cav goes, wins one stage, and breaks Merckx's record than if Jakobsen goes and wins two or three stages. I can't see Jakobsen having the domination, or any sprinter having the domination, that Cav had last year, because we have and we have Jakobsen, we have Bennett, we have Caleb, we have Wout, we have Tim Malia, we have a lot of fast guys there, so I just don't, and there's nothing really separating them, on previous years, you know, Bennett had been standout, or Cav had been standout, or Caleb had been standout, but there's no one really standout this year, so I think that's going to be an interesting battle for supremacy in the sprints as well. All in all, I'm going to be absolutely glued to the TV screens. So we're the 1st until the 24th of July. It's going to be a fascinating battle. I'm going to pop in and out. I haven't done the daily Tour de France or Giro podcast in a while because I want to keep that diversity of interest for myself as much as you guys of bringing fascinating interviews and sprinkling them in. But I am going to come back one or two times a week with Tour de France updates. I'm really, really looking forward to it. So there you go. You have your calendars. Hopefully you can go back and listen to those key stages, mark them into your Google calendar, take the evening off work, call in sick because it's going to be a classic. Roadman. I'm back tomorrow with a really amazing interview with one of my old teammates and friends, Ed Veal. And we're talking about how you can defy aging and keep racing at the top level never letting age define you or give you limitations as to what you can achieve within the sport. Roadman, ride safe, and I'm to chat to you again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. There is painstaking effort that goes into research, recording, scheduling, and production of this show six days a week. Now I am actually asking for something in return. Come on now, folks, you owe me this. Right after I stop talking today, can you please take out your phone and do two things for me? Firstly, can you subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to the podcast? And secondly, leave a review of the show. These two simple tasks make it so much easier for me to get to the show into the ears of people who need to hear it. Come on, it's the least you owe me after all the hustle I've put into bringing this show. So all I ask is you do it now before you forget and it slips your mind. Thank you very, very much, Roadman.